Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Glory to God. Lamentations this morning. We don't study out of Lamentations much, but I invite you to turn to Lamentations right after the book of Jeremiah. Hallelujah. Somebody said Jeremiah was a bullfrog. When I used to rodeo, when I was a kid, I rodeoed in the high school rodeos here in the South Texas area. And they had a rodeo clown named Skipper Voss. Skipper Voss went on to be a pretty well-known professional rodeo clown. And he always used to dance to that song, Jeremiah is a bullfrog with a bull. And I used to just, that used to be one of the funniest acts I ever saw. He was a pretty neat guy. The, fun, the greatest clown act, since I was a rodeo cowboy, the greatest clown act I ever saw was a guy named Bo Bland. He was an older gentleman, and he could, he could train animals like, nobody, like, nobody's, like nobody's business. Where am I here? I'm, like nobody's business. And he had a, he'd walk out into the middle of an arena with a sack over his shoulder. And the, and the rodeo announcer would say, where are you going, Bo? And he'd say, I'm going duck hunting. And he'd say, you're going duck hunting? He says, well, it's nighttime. It's not even duck season. He says, how can you go duck hunting? He says, I brought my own ducks. And so he'd dump this sack out, and these two ducks would fall out of this sack, and they'd take off flying around the arena. Then he'd take a an old, look like an old blunderbuss, and he'd pull the trigger, of course, confetti and all that stuff. Boom, it'd come blowing out, and those two ducks would go land at the other end of the arena. And he'd holler, I got two ducks, I got two ducks. And then the announcer would say, what are you going to do now? He says, well, I got a duck dog. He says, you got a duck dog? He said, yeah. And he'd shake that sack again, and a little bitty chihuahua would fall out. And that chihuahua would run down to the end of that arena and Bo would run about halfway up the arena with that sack open and that, that dog would herd them two ducks and himself in the sack. He'd throw them over his shoulder and walk out of the arena. Now that's an act. Lamentations this morning. We're studying the love of God. For many weeks, almost 15 weeks, we studied the subject of faith. As we discovered last week, faith worketh by love. Faith is what fuels your love. Without the love of God in your life, you can't operate in faith. Love is a very irresistible force when it comes from God. Divine love is very irresistible. You cannot resist it. Anytime God applies divine love to your life, I guarantee you're coming to Jesus. Amen? You can resist doctrine. You can resist churches. You can resist preachers. You can resist all of that. But when God's love hits your life, you cannot resist it. It is an irresistible force. Now, and one of the things we must understand, people have a hard time with the love of God or understanding how much God loves them. The love of God is so, so awe-inspiring. Songs are written about it. It's so powerful, it can, it can literally transform the worst sinner into the greatest saint. Uh, it is, it is uh, something available to be received, but it's something that is not forced on people. Amen? When you understand God's love, you understand your own value and worth. Many people have a poor God image. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Thinking that God is the source of their problem. But I've got good news for you this morning. God is not the source of your problem. God is the source of your answer. There are many sources to problems. You know, some problems are self-inflicted. Anybody ever had a self-inflicted problem? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know that. <laughs> self-inflicted problems. There are problems we have with our mind. There are problems we have with our own flesh. There are problems with the world system. The world system's corrupt. We thank God for good government. We thank God for, uh, you know, good this and good that. But in reality, all that is in the world and that is running this world system is corrupt. 
Also, we have problems with an adversary. There is an adversary. He's not just the adversary of Christianity. He is the adversary of humanity. Satan, a third of the devil, a third of the angels that fell with him are demon, demon forces and demon powers. They hate humanity, not just Christianity, because with every human being, there is a potential of another Jesus person walking on the earth. That's you and me, amen? So he hates humanity. His ministry is to, the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, his ministry is to steal, kill, and destroy. If anything in your life has ever been stolen, if anything has ever been destroyed, if everything has ever been killed, if you've had negative problems, breakups, bankruptcies, sicknesses and disease, addictions, afflictions, depressions, you name it, that's not of God. God does not do that to people. God does not give that to people. And we'll prove to you by the scripture that is not the way God does things. I know there's a lot of churches that preach, well, God will give you cancer to teach you a lesson. God will give you a bankruptcy to teach you a lesson. That's not how he teaches lessons. He teaches lessons by his word. We've got the Old Testament, amen, written for us. We've got the New Testament, written to us. Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness so that men and women of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished. God teaches us by his word. Experience, oh, this is a good one. Experience is not the best teacher. A lot of people have a problem with that. If I was to take off running and stick my head in that wall back there, right under where the sound booth is and hit a two by four on the wall and split my head wide open and I got to get 40 stitches to get it stitched up and then I come back next Sunday morning and there's a big white patch on that wall where I stuck my head through it and I tell you, don't stick your head through a sheetrock wall. I have learned through experience. I have a stitches on my head and I will have a scar to prove it. You do not have to learn the same way I did. A lot of people say experience is the best teacher. No, I got good news for you. Experience is not the best teacher. You do not have to experience cancer to be taught anything. You do not have to experience a divorce to be taught anything. You do not have to experience a bankruptcy to be taught anything. You don't have to experience any of the negative things of life to be taught anything. God teaches us by his word. Experience is not the best teacher. Revelation knowledge by the Holy Ghost is the best teacher. Now, did you find Lamentations real quick? Let me kind of give you this little scenario, this little equation. Understanding that God loves you will empower you to love God. If you understand how to love God, you can love yourself. A lot of problem, a lot of people have a problem with what the world calls poor self-image. You say, well, I was ugly. I was a middle child. My grandma beat me with barbed wire. I was so ugly they had to hang a pork chop around my neck to get the dog to play with me. Listen, all that's well and good. Amen. (laughs) Did I really say that? All that's well and good. But once you understand the love of God, And how absolutely valuable you are to God. Let me say that again. How how absolutely valuable you are to God. You're not near as valuable to the government. You're not near as valuable to the educational system. You're not near as as, as, uh, important to the, uh, or as valuable to the the, uh, economic system. You're not near as important to any other system as you are to God himself. He values you. He loves you. I don't care what your image of yourself is. When you see yourself the way God sees you, you can't help but love yourself. 
You say, that sounds selfish to me. No, it's not selfish because you can only love others with the love of God as you love yourself. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Mercy kept you out of the penitentiary. Mercy kept you out of the graveyard. Mercy kept you out, kept you out of the hospital. Mercy kept you from overdosing on those drugs. Mercy kept those violent men and women from destroying your life. Come on, church. It's God's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. God is a compassionate God. Let me tell you, there are two forces. There's pity, which is me standing back and looking at you and your problem and saying, too bad. I feel bad about that. Compassion is me seeing you in the same situation and stepping into your situation to do something about it. God is a compassionate God. They are new every morning. His mercy and compassion are what? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Now go down, if you will, to verse 32. It says, but though he cause grief, now, see, people will read that right there and say, well, there you are, pastor. He causes grief. He causes grief. Now, understand, there are two portions to the Bible. There's what we call the Old Testament, the New Testament. Predominantly, the Old Testament was in Hebrew, translated out of Hebrew into what we call the King James Bible, which we know today. There are other translations. There are other paraphrases. But the standard for the Bible is the King James Version. I read all kinds of versions. I have 20-something different versions. I have everything from the proper King James to the hippie Bible. You say, what is the hippie Bible? It's called Letters to Street. After, every once in a while, I'll get it out and read a scripture or two out of Letters to Street People. That's what they call the hippie Bible. But here's the thing. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Now, understanding that, you've almost got to become a Hebrew scholar to go back and get understanding. Thank God we don't have to do that. Others have done that. And in studying the scripture in the Old Testament, must, much of the verbiage in the Old Testament is in the permissive sense, which means God didn't take and put upon Israel this problem or this situation or this drought or this famine or this plague or open up the, open up the, the earth and swallow thousands. God didn't do that because he wanted to do that. The verb being in the permissive sense literally means that when Israel sinned and stepped back away from God, God's hands were tied. He couldn't step in. What happens when God's hands are tied in your life? The devil comes. To do what? Steal and kill and destroy. And much of the verbiage in the old covenant, God, God would never allow that. Who allowed it? His covenant people allowed it. They got away from God. They started serving demon gods. They started offering their children, their, their, their living children on altars of fire. They started doing all kinds of sexual things, wicked things they began to do. And when that happened, God just had to step back. And what happened then? As you sow, that's how, you, that's how you're going to reap. And that's what happened to him. So, but though he caused grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Now notice this in verse uh, 30, 33. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. God is not in the business of bringing grief, problems, darkness, situations, circumstances. He's not our problems. He is not our problem. He's our answer. He loves you. 
How many of you love somebody? You have a husband, a wife, a child, a friend, a neighbor, that you love them. Would you ever hurt them? Well, why would we think God would hurt us? Now, if you will go to the book of Thessalonians, that's all the way back into the, into the New Testament, right before First and Second Timothy. Look at Thessalonians chapter 5. I believe it helps us to look at these scriptures to understand that God's not against us. He's for us. Verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day. How many are of the day? That means you're not of darkness. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now notice this. Verse 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read it in the Amplified. It says, For God has not appointed us to incur his wrath. I love this part. He did not select us to condemn us. You need, some of you need to hear that right now. He did not select us to condemn us, but that we might obtain his salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now go to the book of James real quick. The book of James chapter 1. Right before the book of Hebrews is the book of James. We know James is the pastor of the church there at Jerusalem. This is not the James that's Peter, James, and John that was part of the fishing syndicate of Galilee. This is James who, as we call, was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. They shared the same mother, but they did not share the same father. James's father was Joseph. Jesus' father was God. Is God, will up forever will be God. Amen. And now, now notice what it says in verse, 10, verse uh, 12. Excuse me. Verse 12. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, in order to understand this scripture and the next scripture we're going to read, you're going to have to understand what we mean by temptation. Now, hopefully... There's nobody in Island Church this morning that's being tempted to rob the bank tomorrow. Amen. I'll let that settle in just for a minute. If there, was, if there is, I'm going to let you get convicted so you can get saved. Amen. You know, there are temptations that we are not subject to. That we should, as Christians, we shouldn't be, you shouldn't be tempted to go next door and kill your neighbor. You shouldn't be tempted to do this, do that. You shouldn't be tempted to go out and get just drunk or go out and do drugs. All of those temptations that were of our past life, they shouldn't be relative to us today. But you have to understand, what is temptation as relevant to the believer? Now, let me tell you what it is. Temptation as relevant to the believer is anything that goes against what God has provided for us in Christ. Certainly, sin is a temptation. How many born-again Christians we have in here this morning? Raise your hand and say hallelujah. hallelujah. If you're not, we'll trust you get to get saved at the end of the service. But for every born-again Christian, the sin issue should be settled. Jesus takes out of you iniquity, which is the desire to sin, and puts into you righteousness. Then he takes his blood and cleanses you from every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. Isn't that good news? So you shouldn't be tempted with the sin of a person who is not a Christian. Therefore, temptation is, number one, how many have ever been tempted to be sick? I've had some temptations to be sick. I've had some marvelous opportunities to be sick and passed them all up. You say, what do you mean? That's all sickness and, sickness and disease should be to the believer is a temptation. 
Don't, don't come up in the prayer line and say things like, well, I have, I, ha- I have cancer, I have a tumor, I have this, I have that. You are laying claim to something that does not belong to you. You are a Christian. Jesus purchased healing by the stripes upon his back. By his stripes, you are healed. He has delivered you from the power of darkness, from the power of cancer, from the power of diabetes, from the power of arthritis, and he's translated you into the kingdom of his dear son, which is healing and health. Healing is not something you're trying to get. Healed is something that you are. So you take what you are and you fight off what you're being tempted with. You say, but pastor, the devil said I have. I mean, I mean, the doctor said I have. No, even though the doctor may say you may have, it's not something you possess. It's something you're being tempted with. How many have ever been tempted with poverty? Can't pay your bills? Need some money? Poverty tries to come into your life. It's not that you're poor. We did this in the early service. We've done this in several services. How many want to get rich quick? I'm fixing to make everybody rich. Nobody wants to be rich. You got the world system. Everybody say the world system. In the world system, rich is what you have. Then you have the kingdom of God. In God's system, rich is not what you have. Rich is who you are. And here's the good news. If you find out you are rich, then you can have. But there's no way those that have can ever become rich because you got to get saved first. You may not have two dimes to rub together this morning, but the Bible still says that he supplies all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. And that he gives you the ability to obtain wealth so that his covenant may be established on the earth. So when you can't pay your bills, you have lack, you have a a deficit in your finances, you're not broke, you're not poor, you're not impoverished, you're just being tempted. Anybody ever been tempted to be depressed? Anybody ever been tempted to give up, to quit? Those are just temptations. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's no temptation taking you such as is common to man. Oh, everybody should have got up and ran around the church three times. You say, why are you saying that? Because the devil cannot come up with some supernatural thing to tempt you with. He's got to use the common problems that are unique to the human experience. He cannot manifest anything supernaturally. Remember the illustration we used on teaching redemption? If you got a big glass of ice cold water and you start pouring it down your throat and it turns into vodka, the devil didn't do that. If you walk outside and you're going to take a big old deep breath of this great hot humid air here on the Gulf Coast and you begin to inhale and all of a sudden there's a big old spleef in your mouth. I mean, you know what a spleef is? Laura knows. Amen. And you start inhaling, and he's like, Who put this joint in my mouth? No, no, the devil didn't do it. Let me help you. If he could, he would. Every time you took a breath, every time you picked up a glass, he turned it into something to destroy you. But he can, he's, he's within, he's, he's compressed within. He cannot do anything but tempt you with that which is common to man. But God says with every temptation, God has made what? A way of escape. Everybody say, get out. That means you can get out of it. You can be healed. You can be delivered. You can be set free. Amen. Now with that in mind, go back to the scripture. In James, it says again, blessed is the man that does what? Endureth. Now, that doesn't mean put up with it. That means you endure the process of getting out of it. 
Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Let me, can I read that one more time? Let no man, let no woman, let no teenager, let no theologian, let, let, let no doctor of divinity. This is my Bible, black and white, King James. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, this is God doing it. You've got to settle that or you'll never receive the love of God. God does not give you cancer to teach you. God does not give you a bankruptcy. God does not take you through divorce. God does not do that. That is your adversary. That is the weaknesses of the human experience. That's the world system. That is all these things combined to destroy you. But God has given you life and done it in abundance so that you can rise above all of the temptations of life and recognize there's a God in heaven that loves me so much. He is not against me in any way. He is for me in every area for my health for my wealth, for my blessing, for my peace, for my joy, for my righteousness. God is for me. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Let me just say it like this. God doesn't have any evil. How's he going to give you something he doesn't have? He's not a thief. He's not going to go steal cancer and give it to you. And I'm going to steal a bankruptcy and give it. No, no, he's not going to tempt. I like what preacher, one preacher years ago, he was preaching. I, said, I thought one of his statements just blew my mind. He said, God can only give you what he has. So he began to name the things God has. He's got salvation. He's got the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He's got water baptism. He's got communion. He's got the word. He's got the church. He's got peace and righteousness and joy. He's got healing, health, and deliverance. He began to name all the things God has. Then he began to name the things God doesn't have. God doesn't have addiction. God doesn't have affliction. God doesn't have depression. God doesn't have heartache. He began to name all the things that God doesn't have because God can only give you what he has. Mm -mm -mm. You really want me to say that? You know, that's a good word for somebody here. If you want to get married, God can't give you what he doesn't have. You say, what do you mean? If God doesn't have that man... If God doesn't have that woman, he can't give them to you for a husband or wife. I'll just let that sit in its own weight. Amen. Can I read this in the Amplified? Amplified. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil. And he himself tempts no one. Now, go to John. Not the gospel, but 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 4. How many starting to figure out God loves you? He's not for you. He's not against you. He's for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to increase you. Now, let me just say something real quick. How's my time? Oh, I'm doing good. It's been almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years this March that I came back to the Lord and actually went into the ministry a month later in April, preached my first meeting. I did not want to preach. I didn't like preachers, didn't want to be one. I didn't. And so God began to deal with me. It wasn't until September of the next year that I ended up in Bible school. Many of the weekends that I was in Bible school, I was out ministering either in small churches or full gospel businessmen. Uh, uh, back then there was an organization called Full Gospel Businessmen. had many chapters in this area and all over the country. And so I began to figure out that if I was going to love God, I was going to have to obey Him. 
And if I was going to love people, I was going to have to obey God. Now, me standing here this morning as pastor of Island Church, have been for uh, 11 years, going almost 12 years, be 12 years this coming February, and will be from now till Jesus comes back, amen, as long as it's the will of God for my life. It is God's expression of love toward you. God knows you need, number one, a church and a pastor to operate or function in that church. Did, did you know that? God knows that. Now, in order for him to love you, there's going to have to be people in your life that love God enough to set aside their own desires, their own desires, their own ambition, their own ego, and to obey God because they love God, love themselves, and love people. Are you with me? So the fact that we have a building, remember the devil tried to destroy it five years ago this month. He did everything he could do to destroy it. We, have, we had some administrative glitches that year and ended up without any flood insurance. But how many times has the island actually been flooded with five feet of water on the island? Amen. So without any flood insurance, within about four short months, God totally restored the building by cash, paid for everything. On Easter Sunday, we're right back in here worshiping God. God gave us this building. We started out in hotel ballrooms. We went over to 45th Street, had a little building there, outgrew it. We came into this building. The devil destroyed it. God built it back up. Here we are. We've got it filled up, so we're looking at land so we can build another uh, auditorium to seat over 1,000 people. Amen? amen? Anybody with me in that? Amen. Give me a better amen. amen. So, God in all of this. See, all of this is what? Material. I'm a real person. I'm not just a, a vapor that floated in, materialized, and going to float back out. I'm a real person living a real life with a real wife, real, real child, real family. So I come and God says, I love you through, through Rusty Martin, through your pastor. I love you. I love you. Feel the seat you're sitting in. I love you. The air conditioning blowing on you. I love you. The lights. I love you. The sound system. I love you. Well, it all cost money. And in order to have it, somebody had to give it. In order for somebody to give it, there had to be developed in them the nature of God, which is the nature of love. So the entire expression of the church. See, here we go to all these nations, to Guatemala. We go to the South Sea Islands. We go to the northern part of Australia, to the Aborigines. We go to Cuba, 10 different pastors in Cuba. We've actually built a church in Cuba. Three families in the nation of Ireland. An orphanage in, in, in Africa and a great ministry in Botswana, Africa. Uh, to Guatemala, to China, to all these places. We're doing, what are we doing? We love you. We love you. How are we doing? God, God, God loves you. God loves you. Somebody getting this? We go, we, we get a tent. God gives us a bus. What's God saying to us? I love you. You're doing the right thing. You're loving people. We give away hundreds of pairs, dozens of pairs of shoes. We got 70 coming this, uh, this evening to get their shoes. That's God saying, I love you. I love you. See, you can't resist love. You can resist doctrine. You can resist theology. You can resist religion. But when you really get a hold of what God's love really is, it's not a feeling, it's an action. And now we're looking into the word and seeing he is not your problem. He's not going to harm you. He did not give you that sickness. He did not give you that addiction. He did not give you that disease. He does not give you that financial problem. He's not the one trying to break up your marriage. He is the one trying to restore it all and bring it back to the place that it needs to be so that he can bless it. And he's doing it for no other reason than you are valuable to him. He loves you. Are you with me? Now, did you find 1 John chapter 4? We'll wind this up. Is anybody learning anything this morning? Verse 14 of 1 John chapter 4. 
It says, we have seen and do testify that the Father, the Father sent the Son to be Savior of the world. The ultimate act of love. John 3.16, the most memorized scripture on the planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's see if I can remember how it goes. For God, the greatest being, so loved the greatest force, the world, the greatest amount of people, that he gave the greatest force, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest simplicity, should believe on him, should, whosoever, the greatest amount, should believe on him, the greatest simplicity, should have everlasting life, the greatest life. Greatest gift ever given was Jesus. No gift will ever be greater. No amount of money. Nothing is ever greater. And the gift of Jesus was not to correct religion. The gift of Jesus was not to alter the course of the world. The gift of Jesus was to redeem the heart of God, which is you. He loves you and cares about you. And he did everything he could possibly do to redeem you and give you life. Mm-mm-mm. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God dwelleth in him and, God, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love, and that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. Now we're not perfect, but his love in us is perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment... Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now listen. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now let me read this one scripture in the Amplified. This bears being read again. In verse 18. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid and has not reached full maturity of love and is not yet grown into love's complete perfection... We love him because he first loved us. Now, let me help you. The mindset that we have mistakenly developed through religion, through theology, is that anything we go through on the planet is punishment. How can you love a God that continually punishes you? For every little mistake you make, for every little thing you step outside of, for every little problem you have, that's God punishing me. God. Now, he's telling us here, people fear God because of punishment. One day you're going to have to stand before God. You will stand before God in judgment. Now, here's how it will work. You stand before God in judgment, and he will look at you and say, what gives you the right to stand there? And you will say, in myself, I have no right, but that one seated at your right hand, in whom there is nail prints in his hand, nail prints in his feet, in whose blood is on that mercy seat, he gives me the right to stand here boldly and unashamedly 
Because through him, you loved and valued me. Through him, you redeemed and saved me. Through him, I have received your love. I have no right to your inheritance. I have no right to your city. I have no right to the kingdom. But he gave me the right because of your love for me. The whole world thinks this. We've been religiously brainwashed. I'm being punished. I'm being punished. And oh my God, one day I'll stand before God. I hope Jesus can save me. I hope I can save myself. I hope when they get out the big scale of good and bad that my good outweighs the bad. Uh uh uh. See, that'll create fear on the inside of you. You will fear death. You will fear life. You will fear every little thing that comes into your life. You'll say, God finally caught up with me. He finally got me. He's working out on me now, man. I tell you, everybody, you ever felt like that when you didn't have any knowledge of God? That God's surely catching up with me. Surely I'm reaping what I sowed. <laughs> Come on, church. But perfect love does what? Cast out all fear. That means when you understand and receive that perfect love that comes from God. When God says, I love you. On your worst day as a a sinner is when I loved you the most. When you were so far from me, I was so close to you. I love you. I care about you. Every great big thing, every medium-sized thing, every little bitty thing that might not mean anything to anybody but you. I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want to love you. I want you to see me as the lover of people, the lover that I am. It didn't say that God chooses to love. It says God is love. That means he's not choosing to do it. That's what he is. And so people think, well, God, I had a friend, a pastor friend of mine. His mom was of a certain denomination. And this pastor friend of mine was used powerfully of God in ministering to people, especially that had cancer. I hear his mother was laying, dying of cancer. And he went to her and said, Mom, let's pray for you. Let's anoint you with oil. Let's believe God. Let's stand in faith. This is what she told him. She said, Son, I don't really want you to do that. She said, I know if I die, I go to heaven. I have assurance of that. But in my past life, I was so wicked. I did so many things. And now I'm just paying for my sins. So leave me alone. Let me pay for my sins. Well, he with tears in his eyes had to walk out and watch his mother die. Why would you want to pay for your sins when they've already been paid for? You couldn't pay for them anyway. You don't have the right kind of blood. I said, you don't have the right kind of blood. No, no, he paid for your sins. Why? He loves you. He paid for your transgressions. Why? He loved you. He paid for your addiction. Why? He loved you. He paid for your transgressions. Why? He loves you. He paid for the disease. Why? He loves you. He cares about you. And when you begin to understand how much he loves you, you think, why? Why? Why do you love me so much? I don't know if I could love anybody that much. I don't know if I could love that much. You can't. You're not God. But God can. He loves you because you are His child. You are valuable to him. He is what? Not just God. God. He's Abba Father. He's Daddy God. He wants to take you and set you on his knee and hug you and hold you and bless you with good stuff just because he loves you. Here, this is because I love you. Boom. You're like, whoa. See, some of you have never gotten any of that. Some of you have never had anything in your life that, that it showed up and you thought, well, I wouldn't believe in God for that. Where did that come from? And God speaks to you and says, I just thought you'd like to have that. I just thought you'd like that. We'll tell you about Snoopy. Breland and I, I just, I just dig Snoopy. Every time I see him, I think of the love of God. 
Snoopy's an African gray parrot. He's about this big. And he's cool. He says all kinds of crazy stuff. He's just cool as he can be. Aaliyah had a little bird years ago, and we lost him during the storm. And so Breland and I planned to get her. We were thinking maybe another little cockatiel or something. Because we had looked at African grays years ago. And number one, they're very expensive. Number two, they're very hard to find. And so within about a three-day period, somebody called Somebody finds this bird. They do all this research trying to find its owner. They can find no owner. They put up all these things. They ran ads in the paper. They did all this kind of stuff. Called all the, Nobody can find. So somebody calls us and says, do you want this bird? We're like, well, what kind of bird is it? I mean, we don't want a you know, mockingbird or a, a seagull. Nobody wants a seagull, you know. <laughs> and they said, we think it's some kind of parrot. So we said, well, what do you mean some kind of parrot? We said, well, we looked in the book and we think it's an African gray parrot. We're like, what? Do you think y'all would like it? We're like, yeah, yeah, we would like to have that bird. And so we bring that bird home. Now that bird's a part of our family. The dogs like him. We like him. He's fitting right in. And every time we look at that bird, which we did not believe God for, we did not confess over, we did not use our faith, but every time we look at it, God says, I just love you. I just love you. I just want you to have that. I just want you to have that because I love you. We've got our stuff all over our house that's the same way. All the treasures of our home, things that we didn't even believe God for, that God says, this is just something I want you to have because I love you. You say, I've never had that happen in my life. Get closer to God because you're too far. He's given it, but you're not there to receive it. He's poured it out, but you're not in a position to have it. If you'll get in position, then it'll pour into your life. How many have had that kind of stuff in your life? Raise your hand and shout to the Lord. He will pour it into your life. Just keep getting closer. You say, it's not happening yet. Then get closer. Not happening yet. Then get closer. One day you'll get close enough and all this stuff will start pouring into you because God's a spoiler. He's not the God that does enough. How many agree? He's a spoiler. He will spoil you. He's not the God of enough. He's God that's more than enough. He does exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. Why? Because he loves you. That's his motivation. Man, I'm getting excited. Can't wait to get home and see what I got next. Now let's close with this. My time's up. I got one minute. Back to verse 18 again. There is no fear in love. You know, when you're walking in the love of God, when you realize how much you don't fear nothing, you don't fear death. Look at Paul. He's like, Paul's saying this. I don't know whether to hang around or leave. He wasn't talking about go to another city. He's talking about go to heaven. So I don't know whether to hang around. He said, now, if I left, it'd be better for me. He's talking about dying. If I left, it'd be better for me. But I guess I'll stay around and help you, preach to you a little bit, do a little few more miracles, see God work. I, I guess for your benefit, I'll hang around a little longer. You mean he had a choice? There's no fear in love. You don't fear death. You don't fear life. Some people don't fear death, but they fear life. I heard one preacher say this years ago. He says, dying, dying's not the thing. He says, living's a trick. <laughs> dying's easy. Anybody can die. Living's the trick, Amen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, verse 20, this is the key. If a man say, I love God, and hateth, hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath seen? And this commandment we have from him, that who... That he who loveth God, love his brother also. Now, I'm not much of an electrician. I know some of our men here that work with air conditioning and things like that. But I know that in electricity, you have to complete a circuit for the, for the power to flow. Now, this literally gives us the equation 
to get the most powerful force in the universe, more powerful than electricity. This is the power of God. This is the word in manifestation. This is the Holy Ghost in its power. This is the name of Jesus and all it can do. You say, what is it? Number one, you understand the love of God. You understand there is this being, this awesome being that created the universe with his word. All that is and was and will ever be, he spoke it into existence. He created man in his likeness and image and man chose to fall and fell into sin and deprivation. But God redeemed him. God raised him up out of the miry clay, the Bible says, by sending his only begotten son to do something the man could not do for himself and that was to redeem him. Jesus did it for us. And God says, once you understand my love, then you can love me back by loving yourself, seeing yourself as being so valuable to me that I sent my son Jesus. That's how valuable you are. You're more valuable than gold. You're more valuable than jewels. You say, well, I'm not that. Come on, I'm not that important. He didn't say important. He said valuable. Importance has nothing to do with it. You are valuable to God. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're young. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much money you do or don't have. I don't care how educated you are. God loves you. Why? Because you are valuable to him. You are part of his family. Then you see that and then you begin to recognize the value that God puts on you. And you begin to love yourself. You take care of your mind. You take care of your body. You read the Bible. You pray. You come to church. You look for things to do in the kingdom. Then you love your brother in the body of Christ. But pastor, I have problems with Hispanics. You love your brother. But I have problems with white folks. You love your brother. I have problems with black. No, no, you love your brother. You love your sister. You're not doing it based on race, creed, color, amount of money they do or don't have, education. It does not matter. You love them. Why? Here's your reason. He loves you. You love yourself. You love your brother. That completes the circuit. That turns on the power. Now, if we love God, he loves us, we love him, we love ourselves, we love each other, what's going to happen when we take this out to the tent ministry? When we take it to Nicaragua, when we take it to Guatemala, when we take it to Africa, when we take it to the Philippines, when we take it to, when we take it to Ireland, when we take it over the internet, when we take it everywhere we go, we take what? We love God. God loves us. We love ourselves. We love each other. That's the only way we can open the door of acceptance to people in their sin. Because that's how God loved you. That's why we can open the door and say, it's okay if you're a drug addict. It's okay if you've gone through five marriages. It's okay if you've robbed banks and stolen and been a thief. It's okay. It's okay. But come in to the love of God. And, like, and the, let the love of God give you a new life. And a changed life. And let your life do what? Radiate the love of God. Listen, this frees you from your mistakes. This frees you from your failures. And that literally causes the devil to be unable to drag you down to the bottom any longer. And make you think yourself anything less of what than God says you are. The devil say, you're no good. You say, no, nah, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. He said, you're not going to make it. He said, no, I'm more than a conqueror. Amen. He says, you're sick. No, by his stripes I'm healed. See, with every word, you get the last word. Amen. He said, nah, nah, you, you just, you're just part of the crowd. You say, no, no, I'm gloriously and wonderfully made. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. Come on, church. I'm special to God. God loves me. He cares about me. He blesses me. And I love you. And I care about you. And I'm going to bless you. Yeah. See, every one of those shoes we give tonight. What are they? That's, that's not, we're not doing that in the name of Island Church. Island Church can't save anybody. 
We're not doing that in the name of some denomination. Some, we can't do that. Nobody, listen, we're doing that in the name of Jesus. And we put shoes on their feet and say, that's God loving you. You didn't pay for those. Jesus did. That's how it works. You go to the world with that type of love and it cannot resist you. Amen. Hallelujah. Bow your heads real quick. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.